So as we said last week, we are in our series Before Christmas, and we are taking from now till Christmas Eve to build the story, to build the case. Why did God have to send his son in a ba- as a baby in a manger for us? What is going on in scripture? So part of the goal is to set the stage for why we need Christmas. Part of the goal is to show that there is this story that is flowing through the Old Testament. It can be so easy to just bounce around the Old Testament and miss the bigger thing that is going on. And even and it's amazing how there can be a theme that is running through these stories that are written by so many different authors in so many different time zones, or time, like eras, not time zones. They're all kind of in the one country. Anyways, uh, it's amazing because we know that it's not just people writing down their thoughts, but it is God at work behind the scenes, inspiring all of Scripture. And so to see the story come alive and to see how the Spirit is at work bringing unity where there's so much potential for disunity is such an important thing. So last week we started with Adam and Eve, obviously, and we looked at how God gave man everything he needed to live the best possible life he was God's image and likeness when creation saw man and woman they were to see God himself and he had all of the authority he had all of the creativity he had all of the ability to understand right and wrong he knew he had it all and one little conversation with one sneaky little serpent and it's not taken from them and I think this is the important thing and I hope Darren said it last week because Darren was here and I was preaching a red verse and we really don't know what was said um I probably should have watched it um it wasn't taken from them the moment Eve gave in to the temptation the moment Eve gave in and listened to the instruction of the serpent she gave all that authority away she gave away her freedom she gave away all the crea- she ga- she just gave it all away because she became obedient to the serpent she became obedient to this representation of sin and Satan tells that to Jesus in the Gospels. He says, I have all the authority. Bow to me. I'll give you all the authority just as it was given to me. Well, when was Satan given all the authority? In the garden. At that moment when Eve chose to obey the serpent instead of obeying her God, gave away all of the authority. <clears throat> and so now we're in this situation where all of humanity, from the moment that, that happened, and they essentially sold themselves to slavery to sin. Every other person, all of Adam and Eve's sons, and every human being from there on out was not, we don't get, have the option of being sold to slavery to sin. We're born in it. And because we are born in it, we are stuck in it. There's not this time that we get to get set free from it. We are forever captured unless we are redeemed. Unless something comes, someone comes and pays the price for us to be freed from the slavery of sin and to be set free to live the life that God has given us. And so what the rest of Genesis is all about as we watch as people wrestle with this new reality that they have been enslaved to this sin and they can't help it. They are just drawn to it. When given the option, they will more times than not make the wrong decision. 
we get to Exodus and Le- Exodus, where the people have been, ins- that God has chosen these people, and He's like, I'm going to set you apart. I'm going to make you special, and the world's going to see you and be in awe of how good God is, and be drawn to God because of your witness, because of the life that you live. And the chosen people are in slavery. Moses leads them out through the ten plagues. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers is this journeying of the people to try to get to the promised land. And in Deuteronomy, they're on the edge. They're on the one side of the Jordan River, looking across, getting ready to cross in and take the land that God had promised to them. And Moses takes Deuteronomy and rehashes, you are going to become this new, chosen, amazing nation. And I want to give you the laws that you need to be succeed. I'm going to give you the laws that you need that's going to set you apart from every other nation that is on the earth. And we get to Deuteronomy 10, and Moses says this, Starting in verse 12, and now Israel, what does the Lord God require of you as his chosen people, as the one set apart? What does God require of you? He requires only that you fear the Lord your God, live in a way that pleases him, love him and serve him with all your heart and all your soul. And you must always obey the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today For what? For your own good. So what does God require of the people? Go through it again. That you fear the Lord your God. That you would fear disappointing Him. That you would fear His the consequence of sinning against Him and breaking the commands. That you would fear Him enough to stay far away from sin. That you would live in a way that pleases Him. And oftentimes, and we're going to talk about this in a little bit, often what pleases us is contrary to what pleases God. So we have to make the choice every single day to live in a way that pleases Him, to love Him and serve Him with all your heart, all of your emotion, all of your thought, all of who you are, to love Him above all else. And you must always obey the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good in a couple of verse in a couple of chapters Moses is going to stand before the people and he says after you've taken over the land because you're going to go in and you're going to conquer these people you're going to you're going to remove them from this land that God has set aside to you and you're going to become this chosen people when you've done this you're going to go to these two mountains these are them Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal and half of you are going to stand on Mount Gerizim and you're going to declare the blessings That will come to you if you obey. You're going to declare the good things that are in store. If you walk in a way that pleases God. And live in a way that sets you apart. And on the other side there's going to be Mount Ebal. And half of you are going to stand on Mount Ebal. And you're going to declare the curses that are going to come on you if you disobey. You're going to declare the curses that are going to come on you. If you don't live in a way that is honoring to God. And so often, I think we said it last week, and I want to say it again, we read that and it sounds like God is cursing people for being bad. And that's not what it is. God does not curse. God blesses. God gives good things. God directs in in the good life. So where does the curse come from? It's when we step outside of God's will and God's design, we invite a curse on ourselves. There's consequence for living contrary to God. It's not that we step outside and God's like, "Mm -mm -mm," pull up the magnifying glass, zap. That's not how it works. God's not a big kid with a magnifying glass. Here on God's side, whoop, 
see, I'm getting my illustration all mixed up. Here, this will help. Here on God's side, here, this is God's side now, Mount Gerizim. On God's side, there's blessing. On God's side, there's protection. On God's side, there's all the good things that are in store for the people. But you step outside, and you step outside the, the protection, and you step outside the goodness and the blessing, and sin awaits. Turn that in a way the camera can see it. And I think this helps us understand. Oops. I think this helps us understand the way that we need to see the world. So often we talk about the world in terms of the church and, and the world. Right? These are the two dichotomies. But the problem is, is that when we look at the world through that way, then we're left asking the question, well, if it's the church versus the world, then why does the church get it wrong so often? And why does the world sometimes get it right? It can't be the church versus the world. And the other problem with that is that there's people on both sides of this line. There's people that are, we're making enemies of if we separate it that way. It can't be the church versus the world. The only way we can see it is we've got to see it. There's God's way to live life. And here, there's no sin. Here, there is only good things. There's only blessing. There's only protection. There's only God's way, God's blessing, holiness, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. All these good things are found on this side. And then when we step over to sin side, all the good stuff stays over there. And then we, when we step onto sin side, we invite the curse. And the curse may look different for each person who lives here and often the question is, well, if, if there's blessing over here and there's curse over here, then how come so many times when we see people living on this side, things just seem to go their way? If, if it's blessing and cursing go with God and sin, then why does there seem to be so much blessing on this side? And the reality is, is that we need to understand blessing differently. Because we've so often allowed sin to dictate to us what blessing is. So if we hear the word blessing and abundance, right? Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life abundance. And if you continue to interpret blessing and abundance in terms of how sin declares it, well, what is blessing? Blessing is having lots of money. Well, that's odd because Jesus said that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to go through, get into eternity. Jesus said that. So why, why would blessing why would lots of money be associated with blessing? It's not. It's a trap. It's a trap. In the same way, abundance. We, th- we so often hear abundance and we think success. You know what happens when you become successful? You know what else you can become? Arrogant. Prideful. Not all the time. And I'm talking in generalities. I get it. There are some rich people who are amazingly generous and it can be easily argued that they are blessed. I get that. In the same way, there's lots of people who are successful, and it can be easily argued that it is God opening doors, allowing them to be successful. But more times than not, success leads to arrogance, and the Scripture tells us that God rejects the proud. God rejects the arrogant and gives grace to the humble. Arrogance is a trap, or success is a trap, because it convinces us that we're good on our own. It convinces us that I am a self-made man or a self-made woman, and I don't need God. There's nothing wrong with me. Look at all the good things I'm doing. Look at how I am just set apart already because of my success. C.S. 
See, sin lies to us about what blessing is. Sin lies to us, and it traps our thinking because all these things seem good on the outside, but they're all just a big old trap that so easily ensnares, so easily entangles, and keeps us from really stepping in to what God is calling us to. So what is blessing? If God is the only one who can determine what blessing is, what is blessing? Well, we get to Galatians 5. I don't have it up there. And what does Galatians 5 tell us about the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. I missed one. I'm faithfulness. Thank you. But those are, the, those are the fruit of the Spirit. But what does Paul go on to say? There's no law. There's, there's no limit to how much of this you can have in your life. There's no limit to love. There's no limit to how much joy. There's no limit to how much peace. You want to see someone who's living a truly blessed life? Look at someone who is joyful in the midst of the bank account having nothing in it. You want to see someone who's blessed? Look at someone who is loving even to those who treat them like garbage. Right? Because Jesus said, love those who curse you. Pray for those who persecute you. Those who ask you to walk a mile, go too. You want to see someone who has a blessed life? Look at someone who has endless amounts of peace. Who is kind to everybody. You know, the person who won't even hurt a fly? Yeah, that person. Those are blessed people because it doesn't matter what the world throws at them. It doesn't matter what these temporal things that are going to pass away do. They're, it doesn't matter because their eyes are on the cross and their eyes are on eternity and they just understand that there's more to life than what's here and now. Nothing phases them. I was listening to a podcast the other day and this pastor was sitting down with a couple of volunteers and these guys were like the head of the kids department. They weren't paid, but they just loved kids and they just wanted to shower the kids with love and they, all the supplies were paid for by these people and everything just came. They just wanted the kids to know how much God loved them. And so he's sitting down and he's, figuring, he's seeing how life was going and, and uh, the husband makes this comment that, well, it, I'm on new treatments and it's, on, it's not going well. Pastor's like, what? What do you mean you're on treatments? It turned out he has this incurable form of cancer that puts him in constant pain. The, they, there was never a moment, from the moment he woke up to the moment he went to sleep, he was constantly in pain. Everything hurt. To talk hurt. To breathe hurt. Someone, that would hurt. Everything hurt. And he's like, I had no idea. Because when I see you at church, you're hugging kids and you're roughhousing with them and you're laughing and you're joyful. And they're like, yeah, because my God's bigger. That's a blessed life. That is an amazing life. I want that life. Even in the way, it, later on in Deuteronomy, so Moses is going to take the rest of Deuteronomy and lay out all, this, all the rights and all the laws and all the freedoms that the people of Israel are going to have He's going to get to chapter 28, and you lay, he lays out, if you, are, if you obey, these are all the blessings. He talks about how your storehouses will never be empty. And we read that, we're like, oh yeah, they're all going to have lots of storehouses. No, Moses is talking in generality. He's talking about how the people are going to eat, going to have their storehouse. So lots of people means lots of storehouses. 
And their storehouses will never be empty. There will always be food in it. He says that when it comes time for crops, rain will always come when it's supposed to. You ever notice that we never get excited about rain coming when it's supposed to? What do we get excited about as farmers? Not enough rain. Too much rain. Rain at the wrong time when I'm trying to take the crop off. Rain on when I'm trying to put the crop in. No rain when the crop is in and I need it to grow. Right? We, we complain about when the rain doesn't come. God said, when you obey and when you follow my commands, the rain will always come when it's supposed to. And it will not come when it's not supposed to come. All the blessings were going to be things that, they weren't major things, but it basically meant that nothing was going to go wrong. That you're always going to have food on the table. You're always going to have rain when you needed it. The sun was going to shine when it's supposed to shine. The enemies were going to not, the enemies were going to leave you alone. All these blessings that would be easy to take for granted, but were all huge in their own right. And then for the rest of 28, and for a good chunk of 29, God lays out the curses. And they were going to notice the curses. The blessing may have been easy to miss, but the curses, who? They're going to feel the curses. The rain would stop coming. They would become, to be called an Israelite would be considered a, a, an insult in other nations because of how bad Israel was going to get it. God's way? Blessing. Maybe not big blessing, but blessing that was, everything that you needed was going to come. Everything was going to be good right when it was supposed to be good. This was where you wanted to be. Step outside and curse it, you're going to feel the curses. <coughs> and after he has laid it all out, and Moses is going to die. Moses is standing at the end of the Jordan with the Israelites. He's looking across into the promised land, and he knows he's not going. He had an oopsie earlier on, and God said, you're not going to see the promised land. You're not going to taste of its goodness. You're not going to feel its blessing. You're not going to experience what it means for it to be filled with honey, milk and honey. You're not going to know it. You're going to die before you get to cross. And so he gives them this final instruction. Oop, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. Oh, I didn't change it. Oh, well. He says it. Moses basically stands before the people and he says, this day I ask you to choose between life and death. If you choose to obey God and do all that God has asked you to do and, and live by his laws and live by his commands and his ways and his teachings, then you're going to choose life. But if you step outside, you essentially are choosing death. And it was so important. It was such a... a an important thing that Moses did that Joshua would go on and he would repeat it. And Joshua's in the same spot. They've taken over a good portion of the land. The people were responsible to go to their sections of land and remove the rest of the enemies and remove the rest of the scourge that was there. And as they were about to go, and Joshua again is about to die, he's fought his wars, he's claimed his land, he's on death's door. And he stands before the people and he says this to the people, So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols of your ancestors, the idols your ancestors worshipped when they were beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors beyond the Euphrates, or will you be the god of the Amorites whose land you now live? But as for me and my family, 
will serve the Lord. As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Moses, Moses, I, I thought I changed it. Apparently I didn't. Moses' way was way better. Moses just stood before the people and he says, I put before you life and death. And not only are you choosing life or death, but the choice you make today is going to have impact on future generations. Your choice today is going to impact your kids and your kids' kids. And three, four, five generations down the road are going to be impacted by whether or not today you choose life or death. And so we're going to close with this this morning. I'm going to repeat part of what Joshua said, and I'm going to say Israel's response to him. And the question we have today is that it's the same question we face every single day. We either choose to do things God's way and experience, oh, you're not going to work with me, are you? Experience blessing, or we choose the way of sin, and we experience cursing. The way Moses put it, you're going to choose either life or death. And this morning, it doesn't matter where you are. You've been a long-time Christian and things are going good in your faith. You are invited to commit because it's good for us to recommit. It's good for us to be reminded of the thing that we are deciding. And maybe you're here and you've been a part, you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time, but you've kind of slipped up recently. And you're not quite as close as you once were. You're not quite as committed as you once were. Maybe you're here today, you've never made the commitment. But you're looking at your life and you're like, you know what, I'm tired of all the curse that I seem to be experiencing right now. I'm ready to step into some blessing. I'm ready to step into some goodness right now. So all of us, I invite all of us to repeat after me. I'm going to put it up on the slide so you don't have to remember what I said. I invite all of you to commit. But before you do, I want you to seriously consider what you're committing to. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus stood before the people and he said that, (laughs) stood before the people and he said, a builder does not start building a house without first considering the cost. And being a Christian is not easy. Anyone who told you it is easy lied to you. Because as soon as you decide to follow God, sin and the world and Satan and everything wants to derail you as quickly as possible so that you go back on their side. Yes, there is blessing. Yes, there is good things in store. Yes, we are set apart for great and glorious calling that God has called us to and created us for. But it doesn't mean there's not going to be people and things in our life that are trying to try to to derail us. The Christian life is not easy. It is blessed. It is abundant. And it is hard to derail, but it doesn't mean that no one's going to try. And so you need to count the cost. Are you ready? I mean, I know everyone's like, woohoo, blessing! I'm ready for that! Bring it on! I'm ready for the blessing, but are you ready ready for the challenges too? Are you ready for the temptation are you ready for the enemy coming at you are you ready for the cost because there's going to be a cost so i'm giving you a few moments i invite you to bow your head and seriously consider i'm going to only give you a couple a little bit of time and i'm going to put the commitment up on the screen and if you want to commit to this and i highly encourage you to i highly encourage that no matter what comes your way the commitment you make today is going to be worth it Because it's not just for today. It's an eternal commitment that is going to last every day of your life. And it opens 
the door for you to experience eternity and the presence of a God that loves you more than you could ever hope or imagine. Hope to comprehend. An unwavering love that just gets poured out on you day in, day out. New mercies renewed every day. And even when we trip up and we fall, God's right there to pick us up, dust us off. So here we go. For those of you that are ready, repeat after me. As for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. We will never abandon the Lord and serve other gods. For the Lord our God is the one who rescued us from the slavery to sin. Father God, I just pray for everyone who repeated after me and committed, made that commitment, God, that you would solidify it in their heart, that every day that commitment would roll around in their head, that we would daily recommit that we serve you and you alone, that we will live a life, as Moses said earlier on, that we would live a life that is pleasing to you, that we live a life that is honoring to you, that we would live in... That we would live in fear of you, to stay away from sin, to stay away from the curse, to walk in your blessing and your protection and your goodness and your hope and in your love, God. God, I pray for those that made that commitment for the first time. I just want to say welcome. Welcome to the family. You just made the best decision of your life. God, I pray that as we commit to this and as we take every day to flesh out what it means to be fully committed to you, to walk in the fear of you, God, that you would renew us, that you would sanctify us, you would make us into the new creation you've called us to be, to live the life that you've called us to live. Jesus, I thank you for your teaching. I thank you for your guidance. I thank you for your spirit that helps us day in and day out. Help us to continue in your ways. And may we serve you with all of our heart and all of our soul. In your precious name, Jesus, I pray. Amen.